0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 343 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, coming to you from Austin, Texas. Excited about this episode. I've got James Dodds on. Hey, James, how are you? I'm
1: doing well. We're having having spring-like weather despite, you know, crazy two days of cold, and now it's 70 degrees again. It's so funny how it flip-flops.
0: Right. And then we're getting cold again overnight. I think it's going to be down in the 20s tomorrow morning. So it's crazy here. Glad to have you on. I've got you on to actually interview me to talk about the race I had in Houston this past weekend, which did not go the way I had hoped. And so we're going to talk through all of that and really appreciate all the support that I've gotten from everybody out there who's following along. But we get to dig into it here on today's episode and talk about what happened, my lessons learned, and how we move forward. Before we get there, though, wanted to quickly talk about some virtual group training options that we have open now, including a new option that's new within the last four months or so that I talked about a little bit on last week's episode, and you are coaching that group. So we want to talk about both of those op- options because they're open now. You can jump in now. We've got a virtual group, our legacy group called Rogue Renegades, which you and I coach together. And then we have our new virtual group called Rogue Rising, which you coach with one of my athletes, Carrie Dyer. And both are great options, but we wanted to lay it out. Right now, they're both open. You can check them out on our website by going to the train button and clicking on virtual group training. But I wanted to have you articulate how people might choose between the two if they're interested in virtual training with us?
1: I'll start with the the rising side. Like one easy parameter would be mileage. Um, No no matter what group you run in, we're going to ask that you are committed to four days minimum per week. We understand sometimes you get sick, sometimes work or life happens when you only got three runs in that week. But at the end of the day, part of the philosophy is minimum four times out the door. Um, With rising, um, we've got a pretty wide range on mileage. Like if, even if those four, those four runs are three milers and that's where you're starting out and that's making up for a 12 mile a week, we will take you, we will show you how to build a ramp, um, progress, start adding in quality, start adding in strides. It's a great opportunity for people to learn the fundamentals, or if they're a veteran runner going back to the fundamentals, and the only reason why I show a little hesitation with pitching it that way is that we have people running over 40-mile weeks in that group. A lot of the groups kind of in that 30-mile range, uh, I would say it split um, the number of people in the, 20, the mid-20s or the mid-30s. And so you know that, quote, saying where you're at currently, like 15, 18-mile weeks or 20-mile weeks, that we know that that's a temporary state, right? Because someone who gets around an energetic, loving, supportive community with scripted qualities that advance on one another every week. And then the mileage is growing two, three miles per week. You're going to get better. Like, you know, in six months from now, you might be someone banging out 45 mile weeks. Um, You might be someone not, not from 12, but um, you know, you're going to get to a spot where you're comfortably running at higher mileage and you're smashing PRs. Um, And then at that point you have a decision, like you stick with the community that uh, helped raise you or you pop up into the renegades. Um, and that will always be something that we allow the athlete um, to choose. We wouldn't say, oh, now that you're a 50 mile weeks, you have to go that route. But I just want you to think of Rogue Rising as a, a, a community where you mentioned Carrie Dyer. You've coached her, you've mentored her. She just ran 90 minutes at Houston. So I like to jokingly say, I'll, I'll, uh, do as I say and as Carrie does. Um, she's out there living the example with her running um, and then also sharing her coaching knowledge. Um, I'm going to pause. So any anything else I should say on that front to describe
0: Yeah, I mean in general that group is tailored to that lower currently lower mileage perhaps less experienced runner who's looking to build, who's looking to rise in their journey. Could be somebody who's a first-time half marathoner, marathoner, could be somebody who's relatively new in that game that's starting to think about time. Could be a veteran who's coming back and rebuilding Or it could just be somebody somebody who's looking for a community that's kind of sitting in that zone for whatever reason. Maybe they don't have the time to commit to higher mileage at the moment and they want to still be involved in a virtual group. And so that's what Rising is all about. And again, there's no hard and fast rules here. We've got a range in both groups, but that's generally the type of person that would best fit with Rogue Rising. Then we have Rogue Renegades, which we're generally telling people we want them to already be doing 40 miles a week or more, or have a recent history of doing that so they can get back there because the workouts are a little more, the volume's a little bit higher. Typically that renegade runner is doing five or six days a week, perhaps instead of four or five. And so it's somebody that has some experience with higher volume and is there and wants to take it to the next level. Again, that's a rule of thumb is not necessarily everybody in those groups, but those are a good. That's a good way to decide where you might fit based on your current starting point. Both groups have the same benefits in the sense that you get access to our training schedules, which give you workouts for speed track, 5k, 10k to half marathon to marathon, whatever distance you want to train for within those ranges. You get a virtual community that you can interact with on our circle platform that allows you to get all of the love from the group while also getting your questions answered from coaches and the support from your team. And then, of course, you get a weekly podcast that's specific to those two groups individually where we typically have an athlete on and help explain and their story, coach them up while also giving you all the workout details that you need for the week, celebrating wins and things like that. So that's another benefit, and then you get access to our other training resources as well to help you build your mileage, figure out what your paces should be, and all the things that you need to have success in chasing your goals. And then it's just a question of, Hey, where do I fit best? Rogue rising or rogue renegades. If you're not sure, there's an easy way to find out, which is just email coaching at roguerunning.com and give us a little bit of a profile and we can help point you in the right direction. If you're not sure, otherwise you can read about it on our site. Again, go to train at virtual group training. Both of those options are there. Once you click on that button. What am I missing, James?
1: I want to add one more thing because you mentioned the podcast and um, something that I've experienced. Um, just I answered that that coaching at Rogue Running is going to come to me, guys. So yours truly will be responding. Um, and when I filter questions, but also having been a coach in both um, for both teams, um, what I have realized is like there's a lot of like questions around like a spreadsheet or a PDF and seeing a template. And I think in some ways um, it's almost like it's been forgotten that guys it's a podcast training group so the spirit of this if you go back to the genesis or the origin of it you're learning all this information from chris on a podcast you're thinking i want to put that together and then what if i had a coach's um voice guiding me through the application of these principles that is what this is like every single friday you will get a recording that tells you exactly what to do for the speed track and how to modify if you need to exactly what to do for the half and exactly what to do for the full. And that will guide you for your seven days. You will never be lost ever and never, never have that question of, I don't know what to do this day or this week, just if you listen to the recording. And so basically it's a continuation of you're getting this free knowledge out here in the ether. If you want to train yourself, Chris has delivered an unbelievable amount of resources that you can go back cherry pick episodes Go apply the knowledge. If you want to take it one step further and join a team and have that community, also the PDFs and the spreadsheets and all that, you do get all that, but you also get that very specific recording. Where we're giving you shout outs and we're giving you encouragement and we're adjusting and tweaking workouts based on what you as a community are doing. I just wanted to emphasize that podcast piece because I think sometimes it's almost forgotten.
0: Yeah, and it's fun. This week for our Renegade podcast, we had. Eight athletes that were in Houston talk about their race weekend, which was a whole lot of fun and shared that with the group. So it helps you feel connected to the bigger community. And then of course you've got the online forum to exchange notes there as well. So if you want to check it out, email coaching at roguerunning.com or go to our site roguerunning.com, click on virtual group training and check it out. We'd love to have you. One note on Rogue Rising is that it will stay open because we're building that group. We're close to 30 athletes there now, but kind of building that group. Renegades is a group that we that we only open a couple of times a year and only let in a certain number of people at a time. So if you want to jump in the Renegades, you probably only have about a week week more to do that before we close that group. So if you're going to move, move quickly. We're recording, recording here on January 29th, and that thing will probably be shut by January 26th. So if you want to act on that one, jump on it now. All right, I think that's it. We should also, before we jump into talking about me, shout out our sponsor for this episode, Run John G. John G. Running Apparel. I was rocking their trail half tight in my marathon this past weekend, which was perfect for the race. Perfect for the temps. Perfect for carrying my two, Ucan edge gels on each side in the pockets. So love their gear and you should check it out too. We'll be giving you an offer code for them in the middle of the episode. And I just want you to make sure you act on that quickly because that offer code will be changing soon. And I'll give it, I'll give it to you again, but it's a rogue 15 rogue R O G U E 15 for 15% off, but that will be expiring at the end of this month at the end of january and we'll be getting a new code i'm not sure what that new offer will be so if you want to act i would act quickly because it may change all right james the floor is yours
1: awesome well i'm excited to do this because um one of my private athletes i want to give him a shout out nick in australia he's gonna love that um he looks up to you he was asking even in the last one that we recorded like how's chris's training going and um so there's just like some, I know that a lot of people are sitting here kind of wondering like how your race went and, and how you feel about it. So this is going to be uh, really good to debrief, but first let's go back. There's some context I have like, you know, that week leading up um, that I don't know if you shared with everyone, but you had gone to Mexico um, and then you came home and you weren't feeling your best. So tell us leading up like what you were feeling and how you were thinking, even those like five, seven days right before race.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, that one was one of the bigger challenges. I got hit with a chest cold, not COVID, but chest cold that I started to feel a Tuesday before the race. So about 11 days out that peaked on that Thursday before the race where I was feeling the worst. And it was weird because it went, I didn't have any congestion in my head or sinuses. It just went straight to the chest. So while I wasn't coughing a ton, I just felt tightness in the chest, heavy chest, could definitely make myself cough with deeper breaths. And so I had started to ease back on the running that Tuesday, but then Thursday when it peaked, I had probably a low-grade fever that day and was just, just felt the worst. And so while I did do a short run that day, I ended up then taking the next three days off, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, to try to get fully healthy and sleep and all of that. And by that point, by Sunday, I felt good otherwise, but still had lingering chest congestion, which lasted really all the way until now. I mean, I still have some of it, and so I've been taking all the things I was taking all the zinc and echinacea and vitamin C and all the stuff that you take to try to get as healthy as possible and by you know Monday before the race, I felt fine, but still had coughing and chest congestion that I was getting out throughout that entire week. And in fact, on Friday before the race, I went for a little easy run and it was really windy here and I hit a windy spot and it kind of hit my breath just right to cause a coughing fit on Friday, which seemed okay. I mean, it was frustrating and annoying in the moment, but seemed okay. I got home, I looked in the mirror and my eye was all bloody. I, I looked like I'd been stabbed in the eye with just blood all around my eyeball. And I thought maybe something had gotten in my eye, but I hadn't felt it. And I took a picture, sent it to my wife, who's a doctor who has ophthalmology friends, and she sent it off to them. And they came back saying that I had burst a blood vessel in my eye, likely from the coughing, which was painless and resolved on its own, although I still have a pretty gnarly bloody spot on the very top underneath my eyelid. But it was just a sign that I was working through some things and so had a coughing fit that Friday right before the race on Sunday. Not ideal. I was really worried about that part of the equation and so therefore I I slowed my pace plan by about 10 seconds per mile and knew that I was going to be conservative, especially early on in order to try to keep the coughing under control especially on a cool and and a little bit windy morning in Houston. And ultimately, that part of the equation ended up being okay. I think I managed it pretty well. I did have one spot around mile 16 where I coughed up some some phlegm and it stuck in my throat and I had to clear it on the next water stop. But that part of the equation ended up being okay. And
2: again, I felt fine, but the body was flat ultimately. And so if you want to talk about
0: reasons why things went the way they did, not getting what I wanted. It was, I think, significant, a significant portion of that was the body recovering from sickness. And while maybe the lung stuff didn't end up getting me, it left the body and legs flat and tight and kind of not ready to go. And my, God, my body gave me about 21 miles on Sunday and not 26.
1: Yeah, I, I do have some questions there. But I also just want to quickly ask, because I know people have to be wondering, like, did, does having having shared this publicly and made this a public journey, like, did that add pressure? Like, if getting sick and coughing up to bust a blood vessel isn't bad enough, I, I, I know I personally would be like, oh, heck, <laughs> like all these people that I know and don't know, have this knowledge of like my time and expectations. Did, I know you're a pretty Zen dude, but still you're a human at the end of the day. Like, so did that add any pressure or were you able to just tune that out and think I just need to get better and focus on my race?
2: I will say that,
0: I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, it's hard to say. I don't think I felt pressure there. You know, I felt love more than anything. I mean, a lot of people were asking me how I was doing and what, you know, if I was getting ready or how it was going and all that and that was hardest in that final week Be knowing that I wasn't 100% and not really knowing the impact that it would have on me so the taper madness was in full effect that week in particular because I didn't feel like I could I didn't feel like I had control over the things I wanted to have control over which is couldn't run as much you know I was managing my run load in order to get the chest feeling better Therefore, I felt like I wasn't doing everything I would have done in order to be fully ready. At the same time, I was making all the right decisions. I was sleeping. I was hydrating. I was you know, taking the supplements I needed to try to get and feel as healthy as I could. So I felt like I was doing all the things that I could do, but it felt very passive and not active like I like to be. And so having people checking in on me was great, but it also probably did heighten the noise in my head in terms of already feeling that frustration of knowing that I wouldn't necessarily be my best but I didn't really feel pressure I don't I don't feel pressure over sharing
2: the journey the only thing that I slightly I I want people not I want people to know that what I talk about on here works
0: I don't want people to question it because I didn't have the day that I wanted. That's the only part where I feel a little bit of pressure. I also feel a tiny bit of pressure to my coach, Kathy, who's amazing. And my teammates had great days for the most part. I wanted, I wanted people, I wanted my results so I could showcase the talent I believe she has as a coach and everything that she does. So I feel pressure there. I feel pressure to the principles, the methodology so that people believe in what we do,
2: but that's kind of where it stays, I guess.
1: Yeah. It's great that you can, um, segment that. Um, it's a beautiful driver, A, and then B, it's also great that you could flip around, uh, on the personal piece that it was more love than it was pressure. Um, Awesome response. Cause I know someone else is thinking that cause I was actually thinking that like I knew you were dealing with sickness going to the race and I was like, dang, that's, that's tough timing. A and then B. Um, um, I wonder if there's added pressure. So that was for me. Now the specific question is you said you adjusted your strategy. What did you adjust it to and how, wh- like, um, I think people are going to want to know the inner workings of your mind of how you settled what, uh, on whatever you did settle in before you even got to mile 21 and realized, That's about what your body gave you. I'm talking the day before in the hotel room, you, you had to have some kind of number or starting pace. Like what was it and how'd you get to that?
0: Good question. So when I was doing my final workouts in training, the last big midweek workouts, my last big long run workout, I'd been hitting anywhere from 615 to 623, you know, kind of low 620s for marathon pace in those workouts and felt pretty smooth and comfortable there. And that would have, you know, something in that range would have represented an attempt at a PR. I knew that, you know, the big goal that I'm seeking, the sub 240 goal, I knew that wasn't happening this cycle and I wasn't going to, you know, do something dumb and swing beyond my means. But I did think potentially fully healthy that a PR was possible and was willing to go for that. Which would have been, you know, probably settling somewhere around six fifteen or so as a target pace in the race. As I approached it on race day, knowing what I knew about how I felt, I felt like something closer to six thirty was probably more prudent. And then, of course, I was going to get into the race and make sure that that felt right in terms of aerobically and all of that. And so I executed a plan where I pretty much I mean I started just just a little bit slower than 7 7:10 I think was my first mile cut down from there over the first 4 miles to 6:30s and then kind of hung around 6:30s for most of the first 18 miles after I settled into that rhythm and aerobically and even with the lungs it felt smooth and consistent if you look at my heart rate too I mean completely stable, you know, was was in the low 160s, which is about where I should be at marathon effort. So it was just locked and loaded and and I think I dialed that part in appropriately. The challenge wasn't the aerobic system, unfortunately, it ended up being my legs, which I didn't anticipate. I was flat. I woke up that morning feeling tight. I was flat from the beginning. The legs never felt fluid. From even the first mile, my left quad, my right hamstring, my left calf, for whatever reason, those areas just felt tight and weren't, weren't moving normally. And so, and in my head, I'm thinking, well, you know, it'll work itself out, you know, I'll find a rhythm. And so let's just be patient, not force it. And I didn't, and felt like I kind of found that rhythm around mile eight. And then a couple miles later or three miles later or so by mile 11, I lost it again. And it was still feeling just harder than it should. Legs tight, legs not moving fluidly. And that just escalated from 11. And, you know, I was doing everything I could to try to keep all of that at bay. But by the time I got to 21, my legs started cramping, especially the left calf quivering and sort of borderline cramping especially when there was a little bit of elevation change on those even slight downhills on allen parkway i was really close to just having my legs seize up and so i settled into what i was calling in my head please don't cramp pace and trying to run you know as fast as i could but slow enough to keep the legs from from completely seizing up and essentially that's what i was able to hold for those final five miles was just just enough. And I went from running six thirties to eight fifties, you know, in the final five miles and lost 10 or 11 minutes over those final miles. And I didn't feel like there was anything I could do about it. You know, it's just the legs were just not there. If I look back on it, I mean, this would have been other than walking the last five miles of Boston in 2016, this was probably my, my second slowest final five miles in my 21 marathon finishes. But it was what I had. It, it, my body had given me 21 miles and barely that, to be honest, you know, considering that their the legs were kind of on edge the whole time. They hadn't given me 26. And that's frustrating and really heartbreaking, especially because I wanted to see what the strength training would do for me in those final five miles, like what staying power and resilience my legs would have, but I didn't get to showcase it. And fortunately, I think the answer and reasons for that are crystal clear. The central nervous system was focused and prioritizing other things, getting me healthy, helping me manage some life, life stress that kind of went around that weekend with the health of some close family members. And so it had given me just 21 and not more. And, and the nervous system was fried from other things, other stress in the life. And I, in many ways, was hoping for a miracle that that wouldn't happen. And I thought if something would get me, it would be my lungs, not my legs. But it all
2: makes sense when you put it together. And you know, that's why it's okay, but it still
0: sucks.
1: Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like your mind was very attentive and attuned to your body this whole time. So were there ever any moments where you were trying to incorporate some of your mantras, um, like earlier in the fate? like were there any, you mentioned there was at moments hope, but were you ever able to get out of that headspace of just focused on how the body's feeling? Like, were you able to get into some mental mantras or was it kind of just glued to how you're
0: I mean I felt like I was present I mean even going back to being you know sick in those final
2: 2 weeks and and all the work going up I felt like I was present the entire time and while the mind was occasionally
0: had noise and the devil in the shoulder was like oh you know this sucks every day every time that comes up came up I'd be like, okay, what, what do I do right now? What do I do right now? What can I do today? What's the next best choice? And I made those choices at every turn. And then on race day, it was the same. It's like, okay, I don't care how my legs are feeling. I'm just going to make the next best choice. I'm going to run mile one conservatively, seven ten. you know, letting people fly by me. I'm going to roll into a rhythm and I'm going to find it. And And so, never did I overextend myself.
2: You know, it was always the next, you know, what does the next mile have for me? And in my mantras, you know, one was reminding myself
0: to enjoy the day. And, you know, it was a beautiful morning. Weather was perfect. Temps were great. The vibes, the crowd, the people around were amazing.
2: And so, you know, I was focusing on that as much as I could, but, you know, the legs just never were, were really responding. And then when,
0: when things were going poorly, I was thinking about what Des said on, on her pre-Chicago podcast and somebody asked a question in that live event about, you know what happens if it doesn't go the way you want and she talked about how it's cool sometimes to see what who you are on your worst day you know it's easy to be amazing on your best day but who are you on your worst day and so I was meditating a lot on that in the race itself especially when things started to get tough it was okay
2: who am I who am I on a bad day and you know spent a lot of time with the eyes closed breathing
0: trying to relax as is one of as is one of my common not mantras but you know practices in a race to settle in and find a rhythm so i felt like i was doing everything i
2: could from that perspective and and so when when i look back there's great satisfaction in knowing that i did everything I
0: did all the stuff in training that I said I would do. Kobe, Kobe Bryant used to talk about, you know, once you have a contract with yourself, you deliver on that contract. I did all of that. I did all the things in training that I said I would do. I tried to make the best choice at every turn once things went the wrong way. I showed up on race day and I put myself out there anyway, even though I knew that it could be challenging. I stayed in a positive headspace. It wasn't like I you know, got negative, it was just that, you know, objectively, I felt tight legs. Objectively, the legs didn't feel fluid, but I was still in a positive headspace and I was still thinking, okay, this could turn around, this could turn around. You never know what happens on marathon day once you get rolling. And, you know, and then when things, when my legs wouldn't give more, I gave what I had and I got to that finish line, even though there were, you know, the devil being like, hey, you can just walk off here. So, you know, there is great satisfaction in knowing that at every point, every day before, every training run before, every mile in the race, I gave what I had. I did everything I could. I managed all the punches as best I could. And the outcome was a 305.40, which is an amazing time by many people's definitions it is not anywhere close to what i wanted but you know like in hindsight like i don't think there's any the only thing i would change as i've thought about it the only thing i might consider changing if i could go back in the last 2 weeks and redo and i don't know if this would had it have an impact but you know i i had reduced my running significantly the last 2 weeks because of the sickness And I was running four or five miles at a time because that's what I felt like I could do and do comfortably without compromising my health. And of course, I was keeping the heart rate low and all that stuff, trying, you know, if I had a coughing fit or something, I would stop. But my body tends to do better on higher mileage. And so I will probably run more typically in a taper than most people. And so I knew that that was a big trade off that I was having to make because of being sick. I had. I'd really worried about the lung impact. I hadn't considered the sort of neurological, you know, impact, but I might, if I could go back to a little bit more when it came to mobility work daily to keep the legs a little bit more active in a low intensity environment, I was still doing the strength training, you know, obviously low weight, more mobility, a couple times a week as I would have done anyway. But if I could change one thing, it might be go back and do daily mobility work to offset having the lower volume
2: than I would normally like. Would that have made a difference? I don't know. But I hadn't anticipated, you know, I anticipated the lungs failing me,
0: not the nervous system. And so... That's my only what if, if I had done a little bit more from that perspective, could I have kept the nervous system a little bit more active and alive and maybe not because of the total stress load going on, but that's my only what if. But other than that, I did everything. And then in the race, I think I managed it exactly as I should have.
2: And the outcome wasn't what I wanted, but I, you know, sometimes it's not what you want. Sometimes you swing and you
0: miss. Yeah. Even if it's your best swing.
1: It is a, a dang good feeling though, when it, cause sometimes, you know, all of life boils away and it's just you and the man in the mirror, you know, so to speak. And when you can look yourself in the mirror and know, like I did everything I said, I would do that Kobe Bryant checklist of like, I made an agreement, um, and then show up on race day and do it all despite, you know, adverse, um, kind of days leading into it, that it's a pretty good space to rest in, you know? Do you have, it it sounds like that's a consideration because it's more of an unknown, the whole like, well, I thought it was going to be lungs instead of legs. Um, Are there any, quote, other lessons learned whether from the season or um, the race day or like have you been able to process and come to a spot of these are the things I'm going to take away from that training block and that race day experience?
2: Well, before I answer that, I first want to say that I finished happy
0: about getting it done made my way back to my hotel and i had set up my tracker beforehand on saturday with all the runners i was you know that i coach had 26 athletes towing the line one on saturday in the 5k paul estesso who was just on the show and then 25 racing the half and full on sunday so I got back to my phone, I checked the tracker. I'm like, "Please, please, please. I want to see good results from the team." And fortunately, they crushed it. I mean, the athletes I coach absolutely crushed it. I think I did I did the the math afterwards and I had again 26 athletes racing on the weekend, 23 of them either got a PR, got what got what they wanted out of the day, their goal for the day. And including my sister, Lori, who's been on the podcast talking about her Boston journey, who didn't make it into Boston because she was a five-minute buffer person and not more this past September. But she ran another nine-minute PR, now has a 14-minute or so buffer. And so she's going to be going to Boston next year, barring some absolutely crazy, crazy movement on the buffer. So to get back and to see those results... And to see that I was one of the few that didn't have the day that they wanted made me feel so much better, (laughs) to be Mm -hmm. honest, because the group showed up and crushed it, both the renegade group I coach as well as the morning show runners I coach here in Austin. And, And that was just very satisfying to see, you know, that the principles work, the methodology works. Sometimes you have a bad day like I did, but. Fortunately, that was an isolated incident in our crew. And of course, you know, my teammates from Team Rogue crushed it. You know, we had athletes all over from all over our Rogue community that crushed it. And so that was quite the consolation. As for takeaways for me, you know, as I
2: said, looking back, I wouldn't change anything in this cycle, you know might change some mobility
0: work around those final few weeks. I'm not sure that would have made a difference, but you know, hindsight's 2020 on that. The what's next? And look, these are things I'd been thinking about before the race. You know, these are things that I said, well, okay, what can I do to take the next step as I continue this journey? Nothing that, you know, I think I should have done differently really From a training perspective in this last cycle, but things that one is I want to spend, I wanted to do run more volume in 2024. I felt like I had a really good volume block around this training block for Houston itself. I think my volume throughout the year could have been more consistent, which would have enabled me perhaps to get to some slightly higher volume levels for the Houston build itself. Again, that's not a hindsight-looking concept. That's a looking-ahead concept of adding even more easy volume in 2024. And I especially want to spend my next block of time on a base-building block, kind of reestablish some of the volume levels. In short, I want to get from 60-mile weeks to into 70-mile weeks again, and I think I can do that with by adding even more low intensity volume. So that's one thing. This is tricky to talk about, but it's another thing that's on the table for me, especially as I've gotten into strength, there's some body composition opportunity areas for me. Again, I know that's tricky to talk about with people, and a lot of that comes from, you know, a shift into doing more weight training and things like that, which has changed my body. And as a part of that, I think there's some opportunity areas in terms of optimizing body composition that, that I'll be working through in 2024, particularly, you know, in this base phase, because I want to make a lot of those changes and gains before I get into another cycle that's more specific and nothing major there at all by any stretch but just subtle things that I think I can work on and and those are the primary things to be honest I mean beyond that it's more the same continuing to do the strength talked about a few things with my strength coach Jonas that we want to incorporate and not necessarily add or change too much but re you know just Have some time where we emphasize it again, particularly going back to some strength building elements before I do get back into specificity with the running. So we are making, you know, some small changes there, but just continue to build and escalate what I'd already established over the last 18 months of strength gains. And then it's more of the same, you know. As I mentioned, I think Kathy's amazing, my team road coach. You know, she's had some, she's had some amazing results with the team. I mean, we had two athletes run 230 X in Chicago this year, two of my teammates who I used to be able to hang with that are now faster than me. And so that's been fun to watch. So I know and believe in the work that we do and I'm excited to show that
2: at some point. So those are the things I've been thinking about.
1: I like it. I like that. You got some folks to chase. How are you feeling like physically right now? Have you been out for a run yet? Like, are you like, have you been sore after this?
0: So Monday I was wrecked. (laughs) I I haven't (laughs) felt that bad after a marathon in a long time. So that was rough. Quads definitely destroyed. And, you know, the, the things that were tight, right hamstring, left quad, left calf in particular were pretty brutalized. So that was rough moving around on Monday. On Tuesday, I did some light mobility work with with Jonas, my trainer, which really helped kind of open things up. Nothing weight oriented, but just literally just moving the body, getting that blood flow going. After that, I felt much better. So did a run Wednesday, did a run today, and the legs feel pretty good now. And did another mobility session on Thursday with Jonas. So feeling pretty good now today. Maybe a teeny bit of quad soreness lingering, but not more than that. Obviously, I don't have any plans to do anything crazy. Just gradually add back volume over the next few weeks as I recover. But feeling pretty good now, moving around mostly normally.
1: Nice. So as you you get back to that, are you going to go into like a speed block or anything? Or have you you mapped out the year at all? I know this was only like five days ago. (laughs) um, I'm just, I think I'm curious and I imagine others might be curious too. So I
0: have not mapped it out yet. My plan is to fully feel the feels here and believe me, you know, I've got, I'm rational about it, but definitely disappointed and frustrated and mad in some ways that you know, these things happened, but so that's step one, kind of feel the feels fully recover fully, and then start thinking about what's next. As I said, most likely the very next thing will be more of a base building block, nothing specific. And early thoughts, honestly, right now is that, and again, all this is, in pencil subject to change, but I don't necessarily think I need a speed block before I do another marathon block. I actually think I need to keep consolidating the gains I made relative to kind of reconstructing that smooth, consistent rhythm, you know, in the low sixes that I'd really kind of tapped into late November, December in this Houston build So to me, it's actually more about that part than it is about needing to go back to any building blocks in terms of speed. So, and I I believe the speed stuff is all there and there's certainly things to do from that perspective with strides and obviously workouts. But but I think when I get specific again, it'll likely be
2: for another marathon block.
1: Boom, little teaser
2: thrown out there. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll say, I mean, couple of things. One is that, again, it sucks to not get your goal. But two, amazing to feel the
0: love from everybody. I mean, I had 40 comments on my Strava output from Houston, a very, very supportive comments from people that follow it along that are listeners and, and or members of our community in some way. And so that has really helped having the renegades and Rogue athletes there at our post party at Eighth Wonder on Sunday really helped put things in perspective in terms of what this looks like, because when I look around the table there, I see people that have failed and then gotten back up and gotten gotten what they wanted somewhere else on another day. My sister being one of them, Chris Richardson, you know, being another, Jennifer Ramon, I mean, Paul himself, I mean, all these runners that I coach have taken swings and missed and then come back and got it at another time. And so in many ways I'm the now the recipient of all that inspiration that I get to see in and training and coach. And I would be a hypocrite if I quit now. And so it makes it, I think it's going to make it sweeter when I do
2: get the goal and this has certainly lit a fire under me in terms of wanting to to keep going, to
0: do the work. And, you know, I think that fire is probably slightly brighter than it would have been had I had it go, you know, pretty well in Houston, which in some ways is another upside to to having a bigger miss. I, I've got my Houston medal. I don't usually have sentimental value around marathon medals. I couldn't tell you where any of them are except for this one. And I feel like I'm going to use it and save it as a reminder of the motivation that it'll take to keep doing the
2: work and take another swing and get the goal down the road.
1: I really like that part and that's awesome.
2: So,
0: but yeah, I can't, I can't thank enough the support from everybody who listened to me. I got so many messages before, after, and. You know,
2: part of me worries that, you know, somebody sent me a message on Saturday and she said,
0: or she, she suggested that I consider a mantra for a race day that would be
2: inspire and that part of what I'm doing is inspiring. So be the inspiration essentially. And part of me
0: worried that in failure, I wouldn't be that that people would look at him and be like, oh, he's a fraud. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He, you know, he didn't get what he wanted. But then, you know, and that's the devil on my shoulder. I know the rational side of me can embrace that. That's not true. But part of me worried about that. And then seeing all the messages, getting all the love and support that I've gotten, both in person and virtually from the community, talking through it with people this week, everybody's asking me and, you know, I'm not afraid to share, you know, how I feel about it. And everybody's encouraged me to to keep working and take another swing. You know, they believe
2: in me. And so while, again, it sucks and frustrating, man, I don't know how people do it without the community <laughs> because it's definitely keeping me
0: going and keeping me fired up and motivated and lifted me up and so there will be another shot hope the story and script is different on the next one but even if it's not i'll keep swinging i still got a lot in me i believe and i'm excited to see what's next
1: yeah well i admire you for seeing the season through and seeing the race day through the dnf things quite common especially among you know faster more competitive athletes and like um I'm just saying because I've observed that. Um, and yeah, it could have been really easy to just DNF, walk off the course, um, save it for another day. Um, but I was chatting with Paul actually um, in Houston as we were walking around and it's like, that's there's no universal right or wrong on this. Sometimes it was the white cho- wise choice for someone to DNF, but it becomes a really slippery slope because if you get used to that whole, like, if it's not perfect, then I'll quit. If it's not perfect, then I'll quit. Well, then you wake up one day and realize... Life's never perfect, so there's always a chance to quit, and it's in that I'm adding all that language to emphasize what I mean when I say I think it's brave to see it through, um, despite knowing it's like I think you mentioned almost two minutes slower than original race pace. But to see those final five five miles through, get it done, come across the line, it it, it takes some grit and some courage um, to see it all the way through. So that's from me personally. Kudos on that.
2: Yeah, I told myself beforehand that whole week all i have to give is all i have all i have to give is all i have so give all you have
0: was a sort of de facto mantra and i did that i mean that's that is what i had i wished i had more but that is what i had and that's all you can ask of yourself in any situation is give all you have all you have to give is all you have and that's what i had so you know I can look in the mirror with pride and it still hurts and frustrating and sad in some ways. And I wish I had more evidence that all the work I did was working,
2: but I gave all I had and I'll keep doing that in the training, certainly on future race days and the outcomes will take care of themselves. So there you go.
1: Any final questions, James? Not final questions. I'm just curious if um, I'm. I don't think there's a better way to end than that because it's the <laughs> truth. It's the truth about life, right? Like if someone throws shade when you're giving your best, it's sort of like I don't know. That's actually not even um. It's the kind that stings the least, you know. When you're not doing what you're supposed to, and someone throws shade, it stings a lot more because you're like, oh damn, I I do see what I could have done better, right? But when you've given it your all, it's sort of I don't know. You all we're still humans, so um, it's not as though we don't feel it. But it's like I don't know, like yeah, results or someone else judging it or critiquing it or whatever. I don't know. Like it's just when you've given it your best, what else can you really say?
2: Yeah, and I get it. I mean, I'm look, I own a hundred percent.
0: Right, Of <laughs> what the choices I made, what I did, the path I'm on. I believe in it 100% too. And I know there be be armchair quarterbacks out there that are like, oh, he should do this or that or this or that. It's like, okay, well, join me in the arena. <laughs> Let's go. And yeah, I know
2: that, you know, like I'm taking risks. I have to like, and you know, there's no other way for me
0: to get my goals other than taking risks and take big swings. And I'm going to miss sometimes and I'm going to learn as I go, but man, I am giving it all. And I get that it's public again, but that, but that part to me actually makes it even more worthwhile. A journey is that hopefully somebody else can see it and be inspired and learn from it and recognize that, Hey, we don't, it doesn't always go the way we want, but what do you do? You get back to work and you keep building and you'll get another chance. And so that's what we do. So thanks for helping me debrief it all. And thanks to everybody, truly everybody for listening and tracking. I felt the love out there and appreciated the messages so much. I mean, it just, again, it's cool to be a part of this community. It's cool for people to root for you as I said, it gives me love. It doesn't feel like pressure. And, and that's true whether the day goes the way I wanted or not. And so I just can't thank people enough. Really, really appreciate it.
2: And we continue the journey together. You will know what's next when I know. All right. So we can wrap it here then. As a quick reminder...
0: Check out Rudnjongi, use the code Rogue 15 rogue one for 15% all their gear. Love the trail half type for my race, but they've got a lot of other amazing stuff as well, and a portion of every purchase goes back to support water projects all around the world. So it's a great company with great gear. Go check it out. With that, we will wrap this episode. Thanks to James for helping me debrief. Thanks to all of you for listening and cheering along. We'll talk to you next week.